Somebody sent me a list from the congregation called uh, The Perks of Getting Older. And since I am, uh, maybe some of you are too, I thought I'd read them. How many of you are getting older? <laughs> you know, this is my last year in the 40s. Can you believe that? I know I don't look a day over 65, but <laughs> I'm 49, and I was just sitting up here thinking, I was 28 when this church got started and wanted to turn 30, wanted to turn 40, but I do not want to turn 50. Let's stop the train right now. Well, anyway, I got this list, uh, the perks of getting older. Maybe you can appreciate them as I can. Uh, here, here's the first one. In a hostage situation, you are likely to be released first. <laughs> I don't want to test that. People call at 9 p.m. and ask apologetically, did I wake you? You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. We'll see about that. Your investment in health insurance after all these years is finally paying off. There's nothing left to learn the hard way. It's good, isn't it? You can sing along with the elevator music. You know all the words. Here's a good one. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. <laughs> Oh my, thank you for sending those to me. You know, it's one thing to get older. It's another thing to grow wiser, isn't it? I have read that the book of Psalms tells us how to get along with God. The book of Proverbs tells us how to get along with people. The book of Psalms helps us know how to worship, while the book of Proverbs helps us know how to walk. Now, that's a far too simplistic categorization, but there is a kernel of truth in that. While the book of Psalms is and can be easily read in church, uh, the book of, of Proverbs can be read with one eye on the text and one eye on the daily news. Uh, a sentence or two in the middle of a quick lunch break at the job can sort of shape the rest of your day. This inspired collection of God's wisdom can help us sort of navigate our way through the fast lane of, of life. In fact, I can safely promise you that if you just read a few Proverbs every day, you will more than likely see a demonstration of those truths come to life at some point during your day. Derek Kidner wrote in his commentary, the book of Proverbs doesn't really take you to church. It calls across to you in the street about some everyday matter. It, it points things out at home. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness into working clothes. It's good. Warren Wearsby wrote it this way, Proverbs is a book that tells you how to become skillful in the lost art of making a life. This book indeed is a, is a veritable hidden treasure of wisdom, and it is available for every treasure hunter who cares to dig beneath the surface. Let, let's, let's start before we dive into verse 1, and we're not going to go through every verse of every chapter. We're going to treat it thematically, but let me just kind of introduce it and we'll cover the first few verses as he sets the stage for us. What exactly is a proverb? Well, it comes from the, the root word mashal, which basically means 
to represent. Uh, it can even, in its verb form, mean to rule or to guide. There isn't any doubt that the book of Proverbs contains rules, or we could call them principles, which generally represent the best way to live, and it gives guidance to life. The English word proverb tracks back to the Latin word that actually came from the Vulgate when Jerome translated it. It's a a compound word, a proverbium. Uh, Pro meaning on behalf of, and verba meaning words. You put the two together and you have a a proverb that is a, a short statement on behalf of many words. The truth is, Proverbs have been one of the key ways to teach great truths in a very concise way in every culture and in every generation. We're familiar with a number of them. We use them uh, often. Look before you, what? Leap. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. A stitch in time saves, I have no idea what that means, and I don't really care to know, but at any rate, that's a proverb we talk about. Here's a little longer one that I've often thought of before making a hasty decision. Better to be standing on shore wishing you were sailing than sailing wishing you were still on shore. Mark Twain provided a proverb that President Harry Truman liked so much he framed it and hung it in the Oval Office. It was this proverb, always do what is right. This will gratify some and astonish the rest. A short saying or proverb I put to memory recently is this one, you are most likely to hang yourself on the loose threads of life. Another one that's worth remembering that I tucked into my memory some time ago, it says a lot in a very short space of time, your silence may be misinterpreted. It will never be misquoted. A proverb is a small statement with great significance. They, they sort of stand in the place of longer speeches. You don't have to have a lot of words when you have a proverb that sort of says it all and sums it up. None, however, no matter what culture you've been in or what generation, none are more significant or important than the list that's bound in leather or in some cover on your lap, because God gave us these. God is the giver of wisdom. In fact, He is the personification of wisdom, and His Spirit led Solomon to compose and to collect these. These are ones for us to hunt through. He's going to give us weighty words on a lot of different issues, isn't He? He's going to reveal wisdom regarding our hearts, our minds, our tongues, our spirits. He's going to talk about what we shouldn't be, but we are. Uh, What we should be, but we aren't. He's going to delve into relationships. He's he's going to stick his nose in family business. He's going to talk about parents, children, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and even enemies. He is going to tell us the truth about temptation, lust, greed, gossip, hatred, and disappointment. 
He's going to talk about finances and freedom, rebellion and relationships. And he'll say each grand truth in just a few words at a time. Now, as you study books of the Bible, rarely are you given a purpose statement as to why the book was written. In the New Testament, one of the rare occasions is the Apostle John who told us in that rare purpose statement, you remember when he wrote in chapter 20, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In other words, the gospel of John wasn't the total record of Christ's words and works, his, his miracles and his messages, but it was enough to lead the reader to the point where they could come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And so if you know somebody at work or in the neighborhood that wants to know the truth of the gospel, that book just sort of summarizes it well. Well, the book of Proverbs is not the sum and substance of all wisdom, but It is sufficient to allow the reader and the student to walk in wisdom. In fact, Solomon clearly delivers that purpose statement for this Old Testament book of the Bible. Turn to chapter 1 and let's look at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. All right, so what's the purpose of these Proverbs? Well, he's going to give us seven treasures that come as a result of reading and studying these Proverbs. Let me give it to you first. The first one, first and foremost, the overarching treasure of wisdom. He says, I'm giving you these to know wisdom. In other words, I have given you these, this collection to develop in you, uh, to describe for you wisdom. In a world that has no idea what wisdom is, I'm going to show you in living color what it's all about. The Hebrew word for wisdom is shachma. This is the ability to make the right decision for the right reason at the right time. Wisdom sets the human being apart from any other created being. The intellect and reasoning capacity of human beings has long been a source of of debate as to where that wisdom came from. Where, Where does wisdom come from? Well, the Celtic religions believe their goddess Kerdwin created it. The Romans believe that Minerva uh, created it. The Hindus point to their goddess of wisdom uh, known as Saraswati. The Greeks believe that wisdom and their long drawn out mythologies came from the offspring of Zeus. Zeus was evidently, according to their belief, he'd heard a prophecy that his wife was going to have a, a daughter and he wasn't happy and so he swallowed his wife whole, which wasn't a very nice thing to do. And However, when it was time for the child to be delivered, Zeus got a headache and his head opened up and Athena stepped out. And because she came from his head, his mind, she was considered the patroness of wisdom. So, of course, the Greeks bought into it and named Athens after her and, and built the Parthenon in her honor. And she was represented by her sacred bird, the owl. It gave rise to the superstition that lasts to this day that the owl is a wise bird. We talk about being as wise as an owl, don't we? In fact, another word related to the owl 
that was adopted by the Greeks and used to this day, a group of owls is not referred to as a flock. The word that is used to speak of a gathering of owls is the word parliament. Say no more. Let's see. Where were we? Well, we know that wisdom, we as believers, know wisdom comes from God. It is first and foremost who He is. It is His attribute. He is the all-wise God, Jude 25. He is the only wise God. James writes, if anybody lacks wisdom, don't run to the owl, Minerva. Ask God, and He will give you without upbraiding you for asking, even though you ask Him over and over. Again, Paul wrote to the Colossians, said effectively these words, I'm praying for you so that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and understanding. I'm praying, Colossians, for you so that you will have the wisdom of God so that you can perform His will. Colossians 1.9. David writes of the living word and the written word specifically, which gives wisdom. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making what? Wise the simple. He goes on in verse 8 to write, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The written word of God imparts the ability to make the right decision for the right reason at the right time. See, Paul reminded Timothy of this when he wrote, But you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom, not only unto salvation, but a couple verses later, so that you can know how to walk equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. In other words, wisdom is developed as a result of hearing and obeying the Scriptures, Listen, a wise person is not necessarily somebody who's the smartest person in the church. No, it is the most submissive person to the Scriptures. It's what the Bible considers to be a person who's wise. This is the point of Solomon. I am delivering truths to you so that you will have this treasure, which is wisdom. Notice Solomon also says in verse Two, he gives us another treasure for the seeker of truth. Not only wisdom, but verse 2 says, and instruction. To know wisdom and to know instruction. The word instruction carries the idea of appearance, instruction, or discipline that builds character. One Jewish commentator pointed out that musar, which is the word here, refers to gaining knowledge based not only hearing the truth, but learning from the mistakes of, of others. Solomon is saying, you read this book and you can learn from the fruits of other people's experiences. See, it isn't necessarily the best way to learn to experience everything. Well, you know, you just had to experience that. Oh, no. One of the best ways to learn is to read it or see it in somebody else's life and learn from it and avoid it. You ever learn from somebody else's mistakes? You probably did. I remember my three brothers and I learned a lot of things from each other's mistakes. I learned a lot. From, they made a lot of mistakes. I learned from them all the time. <laughs> I remember being convinced that a person could jump off the, the backside of our garage roof 
which sloped down to about 10 feet above the grassy backyard without getting hurt if they just carried an umbrella. I had watched Mary Poppins too often, evidently. I wasn't quite sure of the hypothesis and, and, and all of the engineering facets regarding this experiment, but I, so I convinced my younger brother to, to do it. It'll work, Timmy. It, it'll work. So he got up there on the back of the roof there at the back end and had his umbrella. And I said, okay, don't worry about it. It'll work. Jump. He jumped immediately. Phew, it went inside out and he hit the grass. I was able to learn from that experience. <laughs> I didn't need to try that anymore. He's never forgiven me for that either, by the way. He still brings that up. Solomon is going to show us not just good decisions. He's going to show us bad ones. We're going to watch as a young man is seduced by an evil woman. We're going to watch as a man avoids following the instruction of his mother and father. We're going to watch as sinners get caught in their own trap. Solomon goes on to deliver another treasure. He says in verse 2 to discern the sayings of understanding. Not only do you get wisdom and instruction, but you're able to discern the sayings of understanding. The word discern, the verb here is describing an ability to distinguish between opposites, that which is honorable and that which is dishonorable, that which is good and that which is evil, that is that which is right from that which is wrong. Discernment then is activated by the living word through the indwelling written word and the spirit of God, the living word, as we submit to it and him and live it out. Solomon adds a fourth treasure. He writes in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior. That's why I'm giving you these proverbs. What does wise behavior look like? He tells us here, it looks like this, righteousness, justice, and equity. You live right, you treat people right, and you work with fairness. Wise behavior, of course, is a categorical term that could cover just about everything, couldn't it? If there was ever a lack of wise behavior, it is our generation. And the older generation, and I'm putting myself right in there with the older generation, who should have been passing it down to the next generation, the wisdom of God, for the most part, our generation has abandoned its post, and we have failed. The younger generation is now, one author wrote, living on the moral edge. Every day in America, I pulled a book out by Josh McDowell with statistics, and he gave some new statistics. Listen to these. Every day in America... 1,000 unwed teenage girls become mothers every day. Every day, 1,100 girls have abortions. Every day, 4,219 teenagers contract a sexually transmitted disease. Every day, 1,000 teens take their first drink. Every day, 500 teenagers take their first fix. Every day, 2,200 teenagers drop out of school. Every day, six of them 
take their own lives. He went on to write, the government says the solution is better education, job opportunities for graduates. Activists say we need to eradicate oppression and injustice. Others say we need more police, punishment, prisons, and social programs. They're only dealing with the symptoms, aren't they? They're only, these are just better Kleenexes for life-threatening pneumonias. What you will discover in Proverbs, Solomon is saying, is that the answer is a radical infusion of wisdom from the Scriptures, which is then demonstrated in life and communicated to somebody else. Here's how to live. Here's how to walk. Now let me show you how. Solomon adds a fifth jewel for the treasure hunter. Proverbs have been delivered to you, verse 4, he says, to give prudence to the naive. Your translation may read simple. The word prudence can be translated with the nuance of shrewdness. This is, uh, this is just thinking critically. This is helping others and yourself as you study this to, to discern, to be shrewd and, and wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. The naive are gullible. He says, I'm giving you Proverbs to deepen your thinking process so that you won't be naive and gullible. You won't go along with the crowd. You'll understand where they're wrong. You, you just won't believe anything. Throughout Proverbs, the naive are warned to think. In chapter 27, verse 12, Solomon writes, A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. That is, he protects himself. But the naive proceed along and pay the penalty. They're just not thinking. They're unsuspecting. Frankly, our world is so gullible they believe everything they're told. And as it relates to moral issues, they pay a heavy price. I've had this article in my files for quite some time that perfectly illustrates, and in a humorous way, the, the gullibility of people. And Richard Dimbleby of the BBC News was famous for pulling April Fool's jokes on the BBC radio April 1st. You'd think people would you know, be thinking because it's April 1st. But he normally covered all of the royal ceremonial events, and he was just sort of the epitome of... of uh, just a careful person and, and a circumspect person. And so he just kind of fooled everybody. Uh, he was a symbol of trust in their eyes. One year he did a current affairs program where he showed a film of a spaghetti harvest in Switzerland. The film showed trees dripping with long ribbons of white spaghetti while Dimbleby voiced over very plainly, Spaghetti cultivation here in Switzerland is, no, is not, of course, carried on anything like the scale of the Italian industry. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen pictures of the vast spaghetti plantations in the Po Valley. <laughs> Swiss villagers were shown carrying great baskets of harvested pasta. They were laying it out to be dried in the sun. Workers were seen trimming the spaghetti out of the trees. He concluded the show by saying, For those who love this dish, there's nothing like homegrown spaghetti. The switchboards lit up. They lit up, and people were asking how they could begin to grow spaghetti in their own gardens. The BBC answer was, place a sprig of spaghetti in a jar of tomato sauce and hope for the best. <laughs> Another year, I'm picking on the British people. If you're here visiting, we, we love you. Uh, we, we came from you, all right? Here's Patrick Moore, a British astronomer. He had everybody fooled. 
He told BBC listeners that in the morning, now people ought to be thinking, this is April 1st, but that in the morning, the planet Pluto would pass directly behind Jupiter, causing a slight gravitational pull on Earth that would make everyone feel lighter. He urged listeners to jump at precisely 9.47 a.m. At 9.48, the switchboards were blazing with delighted callers, this article said. They talked about how they experienced the floating sensation when they jumped. One woman said her entire coffee group of 11 women floated around the room. I don't think they were drinking coffee as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Another man complained he had hit his head on the ceiling. Leave it to somebody to file a lawsuit over anything, and so he was upset. Can you believe that? Well, yeah, we can. As it comes to things that are really significant, the pull of the crowd, uh, common sense, which isn't so common anymore, the status quo, the politically correct, these Proverbs will help you take the stand that you need to to take. Solomon goes on to deliver another hidden treasure found in verse 4, the latter part, to give to the youth knowledge and discretion. You say, well, that rules me out. I'm aging, remember? No, the word youth is actually used in Scripture Rather elastically, it refers to an infant in Exodus 2, verse 6. It's used of a 17-year-old in Genesis 37, verse 2. It's used of a nearly middle-aged man in Genesis 41, 12. Youth seems to be that word. It can be used for anyone on the threshold of maturity. Anybody on the threshold of taking a new step. And that fits us all, doesn't it? Because we're not just growing old, Lord willing, we are growing up. And so this could refer to us, and that's exactly what Solomon describes in verse 5. Look there, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. I love that word, acquire. It's a little soft in the English language. It literally means to seize. It means to grasp. It means to clutch for. There is this this sense of desperation. He isn't just saying, well, take it or leave it. I'd like to have a little wisdom. Sure, it'd be great. No, this is, I must have it. Give it to me. I must have wise counsel. How desperately do we want wisdom? How ready are we to seize wise counsel? Solomon adds one more treasure in his purpose statement, verse 6. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. In Solomon's day, people loved riddles. You'll find them in the Old Testament, our Lord Gives a few of them himself. I think that Solomon is referring to the riddles of of life. You go back to Solomon's day. In fact, you go back about 500 years before the time of Christ. And 
the world was mesmerized by the newest riddle. Sophocles, the Greek writer who lived 500 years before Christ's birth, had written of the Sphinx, this fallen angel. It, she had a lioness body and, and wings of an, of an eagle and, the, and face and head of a woman. And she would stand in the marketplace and she would offer these riddles. And, and if you got it right, good. If you didn't, she killed you. So you avoided the marketplace when she was around. Well, her famous riddle was this. What has one voice and yet is four-footed in the morning, two-footed at noon, and three-footed in the evening? If you get it wrong, you're dead. Well, one hero was able to answer it. Anybody here know? This is a reference to a baby who in the morning of life crawls on all fours, midlife standing up on all twos in old life, got a cane and three-footed. I think Solomon hears when he talks about giving us wisdom, he's not just talking about can you figure that one out. He's talking about can you figure out the riddles of life because they're coming at you fast. They're coming at you furiously. Are you ready? for the riddles of life. James Dobson wrote an article that I filed away for later use. Tonight seemed like a good time. He told the story of a friend of his that was flying a small, single-engine airplane toward a country airport a few years ago. He was behind schedule, and uh, he arrived flying overhead about the time the sun had dropped behind the nearby mountains. and By the time he maneuvered into a position to land, the field was dark. It was hazy at best. He couldn't see clearly enough to, to risk a safe landing. He had no lights on his plane. There was no one on duty at the small local airport. No lights along the runway. He circled the runway for another attempt to land, but by then the darkness had become even more impenetrable. He, he sort of kicked himself for not trying the first time when there was just a little glimmer of light. And now it was too late. For two hours, Dobson writes, he flew his plane around and around and around the clearing he knew was below that, with that small airport and grass runway. But the darkness of night had swallowed him up He knew that if he didn't land, he was going to face certain death when his fuel ran out. But by now, he had no way to even determine which way the landing strip was heading. Great panic gripped him. Then a wonderful thing happened. A neighbor who lived near the airport had heard the continual droning of this man's plane engine and realized his predicament. He hopped in his car and he drove out to that grassy airstrip and he raced back and forth and back and forth and back and forth a number of times till he was certain the pilot had spotted him and, and he had. Then this man drove to the end of uh, the runway and put on his high beams so that that plane could see and that man was able to safely land his plane. 
this man's kindness serves somewhat like the book of Proverbs. It's dark out. It's very dark. Here are the guidelines. Here's the direction of the runway. Stay within the guidelines of this inspired light, these high beams of divine revelation which will guide you to not only land safely, but live wisely. Solomon said, this is why I've given you these, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man is going to hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, to figure out the, the riddles of life. This is the purpose statement of Proverbs. Would you like to be wiser than an owl? As if an owl was wise. Here's the answer. Let me give you several observations before we wrap it up. Number one, a person is not considered wise because he knows everything, but because he longs to learn more. He is not considered wise because he knows everything, but because he longs to learn more. Let me, let me, let me have more. Let me clutch after. Let me seize it. Number two, a person is not considered wise because they know what to say, but because they know how to listen. One more, a person is not considered wise because he knows everything, but because he obeys what he knows. Do you want to be truly discerning, alert, shrewd? Do you want to do more than grow old? Do you want to grow wise? Here it is. It's ready for us to listen and learn and obey. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the clear purpose statement of Solomon. Thank you that you have indeed not left us in the dark. There are guidelines to light the runway. There is this high beam of your inspired revelation to cast light for each step. Thank you. And would you give us a, an even deeper longing to be hunters of this hidden treasure that is indeed more precious than silver because wisdom is exactly who you are. For when we find her, we find you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.